three, two, one. Alrighty, I think we're live. And yes, sir. Um, welcome back to the official review. I'm Mitchell Graham. And I'm Zach Brown. And this is the first live edition of the official review. Just trying something uh, different this week. Just, you know, uh, we, this next two weeks will be live. And if we like it enough, I think we we might incorporate a lot more live streams. Because I'm liking yeah. the quality right now. Between like, I mean, the quality looks really good on this live stream. Yeah. But, um, um, yeah, I, I'm, we've got a bloated episode today. We've got, uh, we're going to continue our countdown to college football with the preview and predictions for both the AAC and the Big 12. Um, we also have a lot to talk about outside of college football. A very loaded show, Larry, lo- fun show today. Um, so I think we should just hop right into it, Zach. Um, yep. Let's start with our AAC predictions. Um, and these were kind of fun for me. I, I mean, I liked, I, I liked looking in these mm-hmm. teams uh like we said last week with the uh um mountain west i like looking at these smaller level teams and just kind of diving into them and knowing more about them and i know i think our, our viewers uh, our listeners appreciated it uh, i know i had some people reach out to me and said hey i really like how you're kind of taking these smaller schools and and you know getting to know them all right yeah. like you know and stuff like that so i think we jump into it uh, <clears throat> both of the conferences we chose today have no division Right. So, so right. I mean, we did not do that on purpose, but let's say we did it on purpose. Yeah. Um, but I think I'll start with my number eleven team uh, okay. coming in at three and nine. It's going to be the Temple Owls. Um, the only thing that I put for them is their starter is Dwan Mathis, three and nine. <laughs> I've got a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I'll let you expound. My, my number. My number eleven is also Temple. I've got yeah. them going two and ten. Um, I have positive and negatives for all of these teams. Right. Um, the uh, the only positive I have for this team is they have a decent front seven. That's that's literally about it. They do have a um, decent one. Yeah. Um, they've got a brand new head coach that has no head coaching experience. He's been a running backs coach his whole his whole career. Um, their offense to say it was horrible is an understatement. They scored fourteen points or more in only three games last year. Um, they've got a huge question mark at running at, at quarterback with Dewan Mathis, obviously. But then they've also got another guy behind him. Dewan Mathis showed little, a little bit of promise last year, but he couldn't stay healthy, and that offensive line couldn't stop him from getting hit on every single play. So Temple, they they just don't have a lot of talent. Um, two and ten, they're they're my last place. Two team. and ten. If you're in the that Philadelphia is- area. I wouldn't even watch Temple games this year. Watch don't, Penn yeah, State, don't. watch Pittsburgh, do something, you know. Right, right, right. Don't even bother. So, let's you know, let's get this little our little transition here. Um, I forgot to do that when we started. But um Do you want me I, to go to ten or you want to go to ten? Yeah, go to ten. Let's do let's do it like All right, we did my, my number ten is Tulsa at three and nine. Tulsa, um, wow. Okay. You know, Tulsa, the only the only positive thing I have for them is they've got a good stable of running backs. Um, but they only have one returning offensive lineman next year. Um, they they lost set their top seven receiver. Their top seven receivers last year were all seniors. Wow. Their top seven. Um, two of them are returning uh, because of the COVID year, but five out of their seven top receivers are all gone. Um, their quarterback Davis Brin threw eighteen touchdowns, but he also threw sixteen interceptions. 
Um, their defense lost a lot of pieces. Um, their defense was really bad on third down. Um, and I don't think they've really made too many improvements. So I've got them going three and nine and finishing 10th in this conference. Uh, at my number 10, I've got USF. Um, I think Jeff Scott in his third year, I think the first two years, he's won like a total of eight games. Uh, not has not no, been very, three. He's won three, three games in three, two, three games, yeah. three games, yeah, three games. Um, not very good. He's in need of something big. He's returning a lot of starters, but he's returning a lot of starters from a team that won like two games. Um, it's going to seem to help on the surface, but there's too much depth and talent in the AAC this year, as you're going to see as we start to get to the top. Um, it's going to lead to a disappointment in, uh, in all regards, and I think Jeff Scott's going to be out after three years. Yeah, I mean, I don't have them much higher. Um, they're actually my number nine team. I've got USF finishing at four and eight, yeah, and the reason and being because Jerry Bohannon is now the quarterback uh, from Baylor. He's transferring in. He's going to take the starting job. He's not very got good. Some, what? He's not very good. He was he was pretty decent at Baylor, and I and I think he's going to. I mean, on the biggest stages, he didn't play that well. But he's going to a smaller school. I think the offensive system is going to fit his style a little bit better. Um, he's, they've got some decent wide receiver pieces. They've got um, a pretty decent O line. They've got nine returning on defense. Uh, but the problems with this team is their offense was so inconsistent. And it's it's weird because the whole reason they hired their head coach was to bring offense to South Florida. Right. And that's the one thing that they don't have is offense. Their passing attack is virtually non-existent, and they don't have anything of a pass rush. But I think Jerry Bohannon is good enough to win them four games. Four so. games, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Four and eight, I mean, it's going to be the – Best year under Jeff Scott, but is it going to be enough to keep him his job? I don't think so. Um, your nine was USF. My nine is Navy. I have Navy going five and seven this year. Um, I think I have an above average defense. I know they lost. Um, they lost uh, Fago Diego Diego Fago, one of my favorite names in all of college football. They lost him last year, but they still have a very above average defense. Um, I think they're going to be a top three unit in the conference, but they have no offensive firepower. And they can't consistently run the ball, which as, you know, being Navy, kind of need to be able to run the ball. And they can't do that. I think that's going to lead to their struggles. The defense can be good enough to win them five games, though. So they'll, they'll, they'll go five and seven. So that's your, that's your nine team? That's my nine. He's five and seven. Okay. Um, my nine is the – oh, I already have him, USF. That's, that that yeah. was my nine. My number eight team is, is Navy. Uh, I've got them going four and eight, um, just a little bit worse than what you have them going, uh, mainly because their positives, their quarterback, Ty Lavatai, he he threw uh, for 56% last year, which for any other team, that's bad. But for a Navy team, that's actually not not terrible because they don't throw the ball a whole lot. Um, their defense is returning six starters, so that's good. But they have um, they lost seven starters on offense. They have a very inexperienced interior offensive lineman, uh, interior offensive line, and they're small. And when you're running the triple option, you can't have small interior offensive linemen. They do not have a good secondary, and they have virtually no pass rush. So, yeah, I've got Navy at four and eight. Another disappointing season for for the for the uh, for the midshipmen. Yeah, uh, my eight is Tulsa. Um, a lot of the things that you said about them, I have them going five and seven though. Um, 
their defense is a mess. They, they're losing a lot of key starters. They also lost their stud defensive coordinator, Joseph Gillespie, to TS, uh, TCU, a part of uh, Sonny Dykes' new uh, squad. Um, uh, but I think it's going to be a gaping hole in this team that won't allow them to get back to, you know, bowl, like bowl eligibility like they did last year. I think they won like five straight at the end of the year to get bowl eligible. Uh, maybe three straight because I think they lost to Cincinnati in that really close game near the uh, end of the year. But uh, I don't think they're going bowling this year. Um, but I think with some improvements on both sides of the ball, we could see them back at like the six and six, seven and five rate in the next two, three years. All right, go ahead with your next one. Uh, my seven is Tulane uh, going six and six. I said, uh, yes, the boys from New Orleans are going bowling, baby. After being 0-5 last year in one-score games, they had a negative nine turnover margin in those games. If you think about if they turned over the ball less and they won a couple of those, it would, their 2-10 and 10 record would not have been 2-10. and 10. Uh, I think this team's going to improve in every way. they still got a lot of work, but I, I expect a more battle-tested unit in these closer games, which is going to win them about four or five more games. I really could see them going seven and five, but as of right now, six and six is what I feel and think the green wave are going to go bowling. Yeah. My number seven is also Tulane, but I've got them at five and seven, just barely missing a bowl game. Um, They've got uh, their offense is returning nine starters. Four of those are offensive linemen. They've got a really good stable of running backs. They're one through three, all very solid guys. But the, the problem last year was they had way too many turnovers, especially in the red zone, like you talked about. Yeah. Their quarterback, Michael Pratt, really struggled a lot last season, especially in crunch time. Their pass defense was very bad. Their corners were atrocious, and they had way too many big plays against them. Now, granted, they played like Ole Miss and Oklahoma last year, which it's not hard to give up a whole lot of yards to them. They almost beat Oklahoma. I know. But they, but they gave up way too many big plays to teams like that. Um, they're not going to be playing a whole lot of air raid style teams this year. So that's a little bit of an advantage, but I still think they go five and seven and miss, miss bowl eligibility. Yeah. And then I'll jump right into my number six. I've got Memphis going six and six. Um, I think with this Memphis team, again, they've also got a good stable of running backs. Uh, they've got a good quarterback in Seth Hennigan. Nobody really talked about him last year because of uh, because Memphis just wasn't that good. But as a freshman last year, he threw for 3,300 yards and 25 touchdowns. So I th- look for Seth Hennigan to get better and to play better than he did last year, this year. The, where, the, where their, their weaknesses, though, is their offensive line. Um, they lost two star wide receivers. They don't, um, they don't, their defense doesn't create enough turnovers. And their third down defense was just just not good last year. Yeah. So, uh, but I think they go six and six. They they do they do well enough to make a ball game. Yeah. And that was your six, correct? Yes. So my six is East Carolina. I think the AAC is loaded this year, and I believe that that's going to make the Pirates from East Carolina take a step back. Not a bad one though, as you think. Okay, they're they're going to go six and six. They are taking a step back. I really don't believe that six and six this year is a bad thing for East Carolina. Um, they've got. Plenty of talent on a team that has won seven games in the first two years under head coach Mike Houston. They've won seven games every both years. I worded that weirdly, but Holton Aylers is a very is a very dynamic player in my opinion. You really don't know what you're going to get from him. Um, if he is money, they can win a bunch of games, and I think they could be a team that's really is elevated to even an eight nine win team because he's that talented. But if he 
continues to play this subpar type of football that he's played in a lot of big games, I think they're just going to take a step back. I think they're still going to be a bowl team, but six and six for East Carolina. Okay, and uh, so you have them at six yeah. and six, and then my uh, you want to just jump into your number yeah, I'll, five. I'll jump to my five. It's Memphis. I have them going seven and five. I think they're a good team, but they're not great. Their offense is always you kind of talked about, and their offense is going to be good, but that defense is just atrocious. Um, run defense is really bad. Third down defense is so bad. I think that's going to hurt hurt them from really being up there in that upper echelon with the other top four of in in the conference. Seven and five for them. But I do think there's going to be some improvements on the defensive end that are giving gives you a little bit of hope going into the next. Yeah, my five spot, I've got the Pirates of East Carolina. Um, mainly the positives they've got, their quarterback, Holden Aylers, um, he's, he's coming back. He came off a good year last year. Yeah. They've got some good wide receiver pieces, um, and they got, they got a little bit better at offensive line. And so those were, those were some good things uh, for them. But their, their, their negatives is they have very young running backs. They don't have any running backs that are upperclassmen. They're all sophomores and freshmen. And their defense is very mid, very meh. Yeah. Nothing, nothing really to write home about on their defense. But I think they've got enough with their quarterback play and with their wide receiver talent to go seven and five and finish fifth in the uh, fish, fifth in the AAC. And for my number four slot, I will go with uh, SMU. I've got Southern Methodist <laughs> University at my number four spot um, at eight and four. Uh, the reason why I have them at eight and four in my number four spot, their offense is loaded with experience. They've got a lot of experience on this team. And then you've got Tanner Mordecai who threw for 3,600 yards, 39 touchdowns last year, which is very, very impressive. And they also have decent running backs with uh, Bama transfer Kamar Wheaton. Here's why I have them going eight and four. You've got a brand new head coach, Rhett Lashley, who has no experience. Okay. Running a very air raid style offense. Um, and they've got very young corners that I don't think are going to be able to hold up in shootouts. Um, their defense in general is not very impressive. And Rhett Lashley, while he's a decent offensive coordinator, it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with him being a first-time head coach. And, um, you know, they, they just weren't very good in close games last year in shootouts. They're going to be able to score a lot of points. I mean, there's no doubt about that. They're going to score a lot of points but I think they're going to lose four games and finish fourth. All right. Look, that's respectable. My number, uh, my number four is UCF. I've got them going nine and three. Um, they, they pulled in a loaded transfer class this year for, for the Gus bus. You know, the Gus bus is churning right now. Gus bus. Gus bus. John Rice Plumley is their new head man over there. Super dynamic. And I don't think he's here. won the job yet, but he's well, in contention. I think he will. I think he will. I'm taking, I think he will because he seems like, a Gus Malzahn quarterback. Going to run the ball, going to get the ball out quick. I really, really like this team. And then you look at the upper level, they got two more SEC transfers with Kobe Hudson, a former Gus mm-hmm. Malzahn recruit in Al- at uh, Auburn. And they also got Kamari Gamble, who's a huge part of Florida's, uh, who's the backup man to Kyle Trask in that really good year for Florida at the tight end position. He can kind of play an outside little slot receiver as well. I think this is going to be a loaded UCF team. Not much to write home about defensively, but I think that offense is going to carry a lot of weight and it's going to lead them to a number four spot at nine and three. That, tell, that shows you, that shows you just a little preview about how I hold the top of this conference. 
in good regard. All right, go to number three then. Uh, my number three is Cincinnati. I have them going nine and three. I do have uh, Cincinnati going nine and three. They lost a lot, man. I mean, if you look, they lost Jerome Ford. They lost Desmond Ritter. They lost Kobe Bryant. And they lost um, oh Sauce Gardner. Like, mm-hmm. they lost so much from a team that made the playoffs last year. We can't deny that. I, I mean, they probably shouldn't have been there. We can talk about that all day, but it's happened, and they lost first round. You can't take it away from them, though. I think this is a good team that's going to win a little more games than they should. I think this team, really, if you look at how much they lost and the quality of talent that they lost, they should take a big step back. And I think with the talent of Luke Fickle and an already really good defense, even though the, they've lost a lot, I think they will still win a bunch of games. Quarterback's going to be a question mark, and that's going to hold them back. So nine and three for them, third spot in the conference. All right, in my third spot, I've got the Black Knights of UCF, or maybe they're just the Knights now. I know I know they used to be the Black Knights, but uh, Knights, the yeah. Yeah. the UCF Knights. I've got them at ten and two. I got them winning ten games this year um, because look, Gus Malzahn. I, I think he's a great coach. Honestly, I think Auburn made a mistake getting rid of him. That's just my personal opinion. Um, the, the positives for this team is there is going to be a quarterback battle between Mikey Keene and John Rice Plumley. I, I, I agree with you. I think John Rice Plumley probably fits what Gus wants to do a little bit better than Mikey Keene because Keene had a little bit of trouble throwing downfield balls. Uh, they've got Kobe Hudson. They got a lot of talent and depth at linebacker. Not a lot of people talk about how much depth they've got there. They're, they have a very good pass defense. They were sixth in the nation in pass defense last year. They're, they're, they're even more experienced, have more depth at that position. The only negative I have for them is their offensive line struggled a little bit last year, but they're a little bit more experienced. I think got a couple transfers there too, but I like Gus Malzahn. He's a consistent 10-game win, win, 10, 10 winner, and I think they win 10 games this year and go 10-2. and two. And then at my number two slot, I've got Cincinnati. Number two, I've got Cincy at also going 10 and two. Um, you know, their offensive line, they're returning all five starters on the offensive line, which is huge. Um, the, my big question mark for them is how good is Evan Prater? We haven't seen him because Desmond Renner was there for like nine years, but yeah. Evan Prater is going to be a sophomore. We haven't seen him play. We don't know really how good he's going to be. Their secondary is really going to be the only issue on defense. They've got a lot of returning starters on the front seven that have shown that they're very good. Uh, their their backups got a little bit of playing time, and they were decent last year, but that's going to be a little bit of a concern for them. I don't think offensively they're going to struggle that much. Um, Luke Fickle hasn't had less than a 10-win season in his entire time at Cincinnati, so I think they're going to be a competitive team, a strong team, and I think they win 10 games again. All right. So that puts me at my two spot. And I've got the SMU Mustangs going 10-2 and two and finishing second in the conference. I think Rhett Lashley inherits a huge, like a very, very good program with really high hopes. And you talk about, yes, first-year head coach. But I feel like first-year head coaches can have more success in the AAC. Now, if you threw Rhett Lashley, Lashley and he was going to like a Virginia, or he was like the head coach of Miami, which I know he was the OC of before, then yes, I can expect a little bit of a step back. But this is an AAC team that has kept a lot of talent, including... That has no talent on that defense. They've got nothing on that defense, really. I think the offense makes up for it in ample amounts. 
I think it's the best offense in the – I think this is the best offense in the conference. They're going to average 40-plus. Tanner Mordecai might lead all of college football in passing yardage. I think Rhett Lashley is the perfect man for the job. And, dude, I think the defense is the only thing holding them back from being an 11 or 12 win team. I think Tanner Mordecai is that good. Okay. There's a reason that he was a five-star recruit at Oklahoma. He is that good. Rhett Lashley is going to unlock a lot of potential in him. And I think SMU goes 10-2 and two under Rhett Lashley in his first year. I think it's going to stir up a lot of conversation about him elevating in the future. Well, that means that we both have the same number one. We both have Houston finishing number one. I've got Houston going undefeated next year. Well, I don't, I don't have them losing a game. And, and their, their, their schedule is very favorable. They don't have any tough conference road games this coming season. Um, let me see. They've got Clayton Toon is coming back, who I think, okay. I think he led the conference in passing last year. I may be, I may be mistaken on that. First team all AAC, yeah. Nathaniel Dell, star wide receiver. He's going to be, he's going to be even more experienced, be even better. They've got uh, a ton of wide receivers that can be legitimate weapons. Their running backs are good. Their offensive line is much improved. I actually disagree with you. I think Houston might have the best and most efficient offense. Just just because SMU can probably score quickly doesn't necessarily mean they have the best overall offense. I think Houston has the best of passing and the best of running. Um, I, I forgot to write down the running back's name, but Al- Alton McCaskill. I think his name is Alton McCaskill. He's hurt for the year. He's out for the year. Is he out for the year? It's, it's, they've got, it's, they've, it's, it's Xavier. It's Xavier Graham. I think is his, okay. Xavier they, Wright. They, they've got they've got other backups there. Whereas SMU, they'll be able to torture you through the air, but I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball very effectively, uh, or as not as effectively as Houston, because um, we don't know how good Kamar Wheaton is. He never played at Alabama. Yeah. Um, but the only issue I've got with Houston, their defense is very very good, very very experienced. But the only issue is their interior defensive line is a little young, and there's that's going to be a little bit of an issue. Uh, but they've got a good pass rush. They've got a good. They've got good linebackers. Good secondary. I think Houston will go undefeated, and possibly. I don't think the committee is going to let another AAC team in the playoff again. But they'll they'll at least have a case for it going twelve and zero. They don't have a Notre Dame on their schedule like Cincinnati did uh, last year, so I think that'll hold them back. But I think Houston is going to go 11 and one. I think they're going to slip up one week, but I think what really separates them from everyone else is that they have the defense to match their offense. Yeah. I believe SMU has a better offense than Houston, but Houston has so much better of a defense than SMU that it's, it's going to, it's going to make their gap huge. I think, I think Houston could possibly, I don't know. I didn't double check their schedule, but I'm pretty sure they play what the majority of the teams in the conference. Like eight out of the twelve. Yeah, they. I mean, everybody plays the same amount of conference games. Do they play SMU, or did not? No, do they play UCF? Because that's the game I have them dropping. Uh, I can look it up really quick. I do have um, UCF beat. I think UCF's the one blemish on Houston's uh, record this year. And like you said, I mean, I really don't have anything else to say about them. I do think they'll drop a game, um, but they're going to be up there contesting with, um, I think, Fresno State. Um, like I had picking, I, I had out of the Mountain West. Um, they yeah. do not play UCF this year. They do not play UCF, so they very well could go twelve and up. They've got they've got uh, UTSA, 
Then they play Texas Tech on the road, Kansas at home, Rice at home, Tulane at home, Memphis on the road, Navy on the road, Houston at home, SMU on the road, Houston, Temple at home, East Carolina on the road, and Tulsa at home. So they don't have very many tough road I, games. I think they year. go 12 and up. Yeah, 12 and up. I'm going to change it. Change yeah. it. I, th- I think they legitimately go 12 and up. And Dana Holgerson. He gets talks again about maybe getting a bigger job, but I think the Big 12 is probably where he his his niche, especially since I think this is the last year that Houston is in the AAC. Yes. yes. So Houston, them, them Cincinnati, Cincinnati UCF, and UCF are done with the AAC. Right? The BYU, BYU, but they're not BYU. in the AAC. Okay. They're yeah. moving to the Big 12 next year, and I think Dana Holgerson kind of fits in the Big 12. I don't think he would fit really anywhere else. And yeah. uh, I think Dana Holgerson was the perfect hire for Houston because he's got that Big 12 mold, um, yep. the offensive style. I think he was a good hire for them. 100%. And I think uh, they're finally hitting their stride. I think Clayton Toon is better than De'Aaron King was. At least he he's a better fit for their offense than De'Aaron King yes. was when he was there. So, And everything's kind of coming together and meshing to where Houston can really do, uh, really have an undefeated season. Um, so who do you have winning the AAC championship? Uh, I have got the Houston Cougars. And they beat your second team. Who was your your second team? That's Cincinnati. The Cincinnati. Uh, Cincinnati Bearcats. Um. So my my AAC champion is the SMU Mustang. I have SMU defeating Houston in the championship game, preventing them from making the playoff. Um. They still might be the number one. Um. They still might be the New Year's at large. Team. Yeah, yeah. They'll still they, be the at large team. They still might be the at large team, even though SMU might being at eleven and two, winning the championship. I don't know. I think it's best record, right? I, I don't really know how they determine yeah, so, the best at large. I don't know. So that that's mine. My 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 champion is SMU, AAC champion. All right. Well, let's move on to the Big Twelve. The Big Twelve. Oh yeah, Big Twelve. This one's going to um, be very interesting. I think we're going to be very split on a lot of things. Okay. Um, you want to go first? You want me to? Did you go first yeah, last time? I did go first last time. I'll go first this time. Go first this. Rounding time. out the conference, I've got the lowly Kansas Jayhawks. Yes. What? But this is this is gonna this is gonna be odd to say. They're gonna finish last. I've got them going four and eight, and I think it's gonna be very encouraging because they played in a lot of close games last year. They almost shocked Oklahoma. They did shock Texas, and they were. I think they had a one possession loss to Baylor, one possession loss to Iowa State. They played a lot of teams close, yep. and they finally found their quarterback towards the end of the year. They got quite a few transfers in there. I really like Lance Leopold. Uh, if you don't know who that is, he was the head coach at Wisconsin Whitewater, won like six national titles in a row, and then now he's at Kansas, and he's in still he's only his second year at Kansas. It's going to take anybody a long time to build this program back up. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, they, they were playing really good last year. They got some good transfers and they played a lot of teams close. They're returning everybody on their offensive line, which is, which is a huge positive. So while they're going to go four and eight, I think there's going to be a lot of things to look forward to. If you're a Jayhawks football fan. Yep. I think I agree with you. My number 10 is J, uh, Kansas Jayhawks. I have them going four and eight. And I think we're on the exact same wavelength here because I said, this is going to be the most fun Kansas team to watch in a long time. Jalen Daniels, as you talked about, they found their quarterback. Jalen Daniels is very, very good. They have a really good group of backs as well. I think the rest of the team is not their offensive line, like you said, is good. 
I still think there's a lot of improvement needs to be made at a lot of other positions for Kansas. But Lance Leopold has them going in a really good direction. And all that being said, they're going to lose eight games. But yeah, that's good. That's that's fine. Compared to what the last five years in a row, they haven't yeah. won three games. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Kansas yeah. Kansas fans are going to be more excited. You're going to see more Kansas fans than you've ever seen this football. I mean, usually, typically, Kansas football season is just filler until it's time for basketball season. Right. But this year, it's going to be a little bit more entertaining, and we could possibly see Kansas be a big Big Twelve contender in five, six years, possibly five, six possibly. years. Okay. Thank you. Five, six years. Okay. It, you you Kansas, redeemed yourself there. Kansas is one of those programs where it is going to take a long time to rebuild. Yes. Like Kansas Vanderbilt would take a long time to rebuild. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's quite a few schools that have been, they got so a first place. Bad. Vanderbilt got a first place book <laughs> by Clark Lee, probably Clark Lee, baby. Come on. <laughs> All right, uh, go with your number 10, Mitchell, or your number yeah. nine, I'm sorry. My number nine is Texas Tech. I have them going five and seven. I think this is a full rebuild in Lubbock, but I do like Joey McGuire, their new hire. I think he's the right guy to be in this transition period for them. Um, they got Tyler Sh- uh, Shug from Oregon at that quarterback, and he's so average that it hurts. I, I think Tyler, he's, he, he can make a good play, and then he'll throw a pick six. He'll make it. He'll make a dynamic run with his legs, and then he'll fumble the ball. I think Texas is just going to struggle this year until McGuire can really get his recruits in there, his style of football in there. Five and seven for the Texas Tech recruits. My number nine slot. I've got the TCU Horn Frogs. Okay. Um, their offense is is going to be good enough to win some shootouts, but transitioning away from Gary Patterson, uh, he's been there for like. 40 years. I mean, not really yeah. that long, but he's been there for a long time. Long time. Yep. Always been defensive minded. And now they've hired Sonny Dykes. And honestly, I hate Sonny Dykes. I don't think he is a good coach. I think he is very overrated. He had a good offense at SMU because all he does is air raid and he plays in a weaker conference. But every time he's ever had a power five job, he is he can't win. At Cal, he had one winning season in four years there. And I, he had another Power 5 job where he wasn't successful. I don't think Sonny Dykes is a good head coach for a Power 5 program. And I think that's the main reason they go 5-7. and seven. Their defense has a lot of question marks. They had a lot of transfers out of this program when Gary Patterson left. They lost their best running back in Zach Evans. And again, Sonny Dykes has a bad track record. I've got the Horn Frogs going 5-7 and seven and finishing ninth in the conference. Um. Yeah. So do I need, uh, do you, you want to go to your, eight? I'll, I'll go to my eight. Yeah. yeah. My eight is um, the Texas tech red Raiders. I've got them going six and six. Um, and let me pull up my notes here. Uh, they, they just hired Western Kentucky's offensive coordinator. I think you mentioned his name. Um, he was, he was the offensive coordinator for Bailey Zappi who, you know, when he went off last year, now they've got him there. Uh, They're going back to their roots. When you think of Texas Tech, you always think of high-octane offense with not a very good defense. And they're finally going to go back to that formula um, with this new offensive coordinator, this new offensive system. They're going to have a high-octane offense. Their secondary, though, really needs to start forcing some turnovers with how how fast they're going to be moving the ball. They're going to have to force turnovers to be competitive. And they've got to get better at pass rush. But I think... um, with this new offensive system, they're going to be able to score enough points to win a couple of shootouts 
and go six and six and go bowling. I, I, at my eight, I have TCU going six and six. So we, we, we flipped them. I think they will be good enough to be bowl eligible. I think Sonny Dykes is a good enough coach to at least get you bowl eligibility. Um, I want to give them a little bit of a chance with TCU, but I think this huge transition from defensive minded to offensive minded never really works from the start. Um, it takes a couple years. Um, and it even took Georgia a year, really, to get to get between Mark Rick, who's more offensive minded, just Kirby Smart, who's more defensive minded. He's not on the bigger as bigger biggest scale as Georgia, obviously. They'll go six and six. I think Dykes is serviceable enough to win them a couple games. The defense will still be okay and the offense will make some plays. Six and six. I just really felt like Dykes was an odd hire for TCU. Dykes was you, a you, safe hire. In you, my you, you hired the, mo- the most diametrically opposite person you possibly could have to Gary Patterson. I just felt like it was an odd hire. Again, he's only ever had one winning season as a Power 5 head coach. I, I didn't think he was a solid hire. I think TCU ran out of candidates. I'll be completely Probably. honest with you. Probably. I really think he was the only guy out there. And then the guy was like, hey, I mean, I guess we can start to transition to an offensive forward um, system. That's really the only thing I can think of, or he has some yeah. sort of in with the team. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Um, Give me your number my, seven. My number seven is Iowa State. I have him going six and six this year. I think it's going to be a step back for Matt Campbell and the Cyclones. When you think about how much they truly lost, um, you lost, obviously, Brock Purdy, who was there for a million years. Um, you lost um, Brees Hall, uh, who was a stud at the running back position. You also lost a very good tight end. I mean, his name just slipped my mind. Forgot his name, but you just lost him to the NFL. Lots of transition for this team. And look, I'm, I'm making a bold prediction now. I don't think Matt Campbell gets fired after this year, but I do think Matt Campbell leaves after this year. Six yeah, and six for the Cyclones. My number seven, you thought we were going to be a lot of opposition on this. I've got Iowa State at seven, and I got them going six and six nice. for a lot of the reasons that you stated. And I'm glad that you ended with Matt Campbell because that's going to transition to what I said. The more and more I've, I've, I've thought about this and I've looked into this Iowa State team, I'm not convinced that Matt Campbell is the coach that he's hyped up to be. I'm not sure I'm convinced of that. Um, he had Brees Hall and Brock Purdy, which Brock Purdy was a, was a good quarterback. He had a rough year last year. Brees Hall is a, is a very good running back. But I'm not convinced that Matt Campbell is the coach he was cracked up to be. There has to be a reason why he didn't get any big-time offers last year. He was like, everybody's like in everybody's top three, but yet he didn't get any offers. So I'm not sure he's going to have anywhere to go after this season, yeah. um, you know, because Iowa State is, is relevant. I mean, throughout the entire 90s, they had one they had one season where they finished with a winning record uh, in the entire 90s, early 2000s. They weren't good. So he's actually gotten them to relevant. So I think he'll be safe, but they've lost way too many pieces on defense. I mean, they lost a lot of guys and they just did not have enough offensive production last year. They were just too inconsistent. They couldn't finish drives. And losing Brees Hall and losing Brock Purdy was big. Uh, we haven't seen this back, we haven't seen this guy that's going to be starting for him this year. And while Iowa State always has a formidable running back, I don't think it's going to be enough to really turn heads six and six for the Cyclones. I agree. And I'll jump right into my number six. I've got the Mountaineers of West Virginia at six. Nice. Um I've I've got them at seven and five this year. JT Daniels obviously was a big addition. 
Um, and I think that JT Daniels is going to be the factor, but it's all going to come down to can he stay healthy? Because, you know, me and you as Georgia fans, we've, we've experienced JT Daniels for two years. And the problem with JT is he could not stay healthy. And he had he had a good offensive line at Georgia. He had pieces. And when he was playing, he played well, but he wasn't mobile and he could not stay healthy. He had like the dude had like glass bones and paper skin. Like he, yeah. you touched him and he got hurt. Right. Um, and I think the main reason why he chose West Virginia is because they just hired Graham Harrell as their offensive coordinator, who was JT's offensive coordinator at USC, who I think he'll be able to use JT prop more. He'll be able to use JT to his strengths better than maybe Georgia was able to do that. And West Virginia has the best offensive line in this conference this year, I think. Um, they've got a veteran offensive line. Um, all I think all five of them are returning. And again, I think they have the best offensive line in the conference. They've got a lot of playmakers. Their pass rush is not great. They don't force enough turnovers. But I think they can be good enough to go seven and five. Zach, my sixth spot is as you drop your pen very <laughs> can't edit this out come on we're live it's i keep dropping look, my pen look at my sixth spot i've got west virginia going seven and five there you go man west i mean we did not talk before the show guys. no we didn't uh, no we, we didn't. did not talk before the show um but a lot of things you were saying jt good offensive line but i think jt's gonna miss two or three games if jt was in there probably i think they win eight or nine games i think they're a talented team jt is a very good quarterback and i will say this one thing JT will do, and I think he will elevate himself to mid to a middle round pick this year with his performance at West Virginia. I have them going seven and five. Don't really have much more to say that you didn't already say. JT Daniels, watch out, he'll have a pretty good year, but he will be a little bit injured. Um, so I'll jump right into my five. And I really think once we reach the top five or four, we're gonna start differing. So my five is Kansas State. I have them going eight and four this year. I think they're a huge sleeper in the Big 12. I truly believe that if this team finds the right recipe, they could be contending. Because I feel like the Big 12 is wide open. Wide open this year. Adrian Martinez was a good transfer from Nebraska. They got, yes, turnovers killed Adrian Martinez at Nebraska. I don't know how Adrian Martinez still has eligibility in college football. Dude, who knows? There's a lot of quarterbacks. I don't know how they still have eligibility. He's like a seventh-year quarterback. But (laughs) truly and honestly, seven-year quarterback. But I think they're good in a lot of places. Um, And they've got the number one all-purpose yards in Big 12 last year, Deuce Vaughn, returning at running back. I think that's going to be very lethal in the backfield. They're going to run a lot of option. They're going to spread you out. Do you know who their new offensive coordinator is? No. Colin Klein. Remember him? Oh, yeah, dude. I thought he should have won Heisman that one year. Yep. I really felt like he should have won Heisman. Colin Klein's their new offensive coordinator. And he ran that system. Very similarly to the way to the way that Adrian Martinez is going to be more most successful. Yeah, I think Kansas State is a sleeper. They're going to lose a lot of close games, but they'll go eight and four. They're going to be good. All right, my number five slot is Kansas State at eight and four. <laughs> I've got the I've got the Wildcats at eight and four. They've got some big question marks on their interior offensive line, um, but Adrian Martinez, as you said, could make a difference now. You have always been much higher on him than I have. I never thought that he was really the the star that he was always hyped up to be at Nebraska. Now, the more and more I analyze that, it it may be more Scott Frost than it was Adrian Martinez. And uh, the only reason he transferred 
which if you're if you're big into TikTok conspiracies or whatever, the only reason he transferred there is because his girlfriend goes to Kansas State. So he went to K-State. And I think he could be a difference maker because he's he's been not consistent enough for my liking passing the ball, but he is definitely a threat with his feet. And along with their their star running back, that's going to be huge for this Kansas State team. They've got really good playmakers, but their red zone defense has got to be better. The red zone defense was not. I think they only had two games last year where their opponents were not 100% in the red zone. So they've got to be better with their red zone D. They've got to fizzle out drives when they when they give up yards. But I think eight and four, it's a formidable season. And uh, Kansas State starts building up once Oklahoma and Texas leave. It's going to be a. It's going to be. It's going to be a wide open conference. It's it's a whole different conference at that point. And I think Kansas State, once they leave, could potentially become a contender every year to win the conference. And then I'll jump into my number four. My number four pick is the Texas Longhorns. I've got Texas at four, and I've got them finishing nine and three. And here's the thing, man. I hate putting confidence in Texas because every year they disappoint. Every single year for the last seven, eight, nine years, they've disappointed. But at some point, at some point, all this offense, or I mean, all these talented players you have have to count for something and have to start winning you some games. Yep. They're going to have Quinn Ewers. Texas fans don't even think about Arch Manning yet because Quinn Ewers is the guy. I don't think Arch Manning is going to beat him out this year. And Quinn Ewers will probably play next year too. So Arch Manning very well, very well may transfer. Um, Arch Manning isn't signing until next year. He's oh, that's right. That's right. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're returning Bijan Robinson, who arguably was one of the best running backs in the country last year. Their pass rush, though, has to be better. You cannot have this much talent on your front seven and average 1.6 sacks a game. That's not acceptable. They had a six game stretch where they had one sack. That's just not good enough to, 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 to be really national title contenders. And their offense has to be more consistent. They were able to move the ball downfield very quickly at times last year, but then they would get in the red zone and, and everything would fall apart. They've got to be more consistent. And Steve Sarkeesian has got to get this team to finish off drives. And he's got to start using the talent that he has now. He's got talent comparable to Alabama and comparable to Georgia. They're not executing. They're not executing the way that they should be. And at some point, the talent's got to catch up with this team and start winning games nine and three. My number four is Oklahoma State. I have them going eight and four as well. I have them tying with Kansas State. They have a lot to replace. Lost Spencer Sanders. They lost Warren. Spencer Sanders is returning. Really? Spencer Sanders is coming back. How is he still high eligibility? I don't know. I don't know. But Spencer Sanders is coming back. I still think they're going to go eight and four. They lost Malcolm Rodriguez. They lost a lot of those guys and they lost their, their defense coordinator. A lot of those guys that made them so dynamic last year um, on defense. I don't, I think they caught lightning in a bottle a little bit last year. I think they go eight and four. I'm a little more questionable about that choice now that I know Spencer Sanders is there, but I do, I'm going to, I'm going to stick with it. Eight and four. Derek Mason's still going to provide a serviceable defense. I think they're going to struggle a little bit off. Okay. Uh, um, go with your number three. My number three is the Oklahoma Sooners. Sooners, Zach. I, I have them going nine and three. I have Oklahoma. Look, there's a lot of things to like about Oklahoma this year, but there's a lot more question marks. 
Brent Venables did well filling out a team that lost everyone. Lost yeah. everyone. But there's some key guys that he brought in. Marvin Mims stayed, the star wide receiver, brought in Dylan Gabriel and um, put him with Jeff Levy, who was his offensive coordinator at UCF. I think that's a good recipe for success, but I do think it's going to take a couple years for Venables really to get his true identity onto that team. Uh, Mm -hmm. Nick Benito returning, or I think Nick Benito left, but a lot of these guys that he needs for his defense, it's going to take a couple years for him. But I do think he did well enough in this offseason recovering them. They're still going to be competitive. They're going to finish third in the conference at nine and three. All right, my number three spot, I've got the Baylor Bears. I've got them finishing at 10-2. and two. Um, I think the top three is going to be very competitive in the Big 12. Matter of fact, my one, two, and three slot, I've got 11-1, and 10-2, 10-2. So I think this can be very competitive, this top three. But i got Baylor at 10-2. They've got a new quarterback. Um, that's the reason why Jerry Bohannon left is because he got beat out. They're, oh, replacing, they're replacing a lot of players. That's going to be a little bit of a question mark, but I trust Dave Aranda. He was a fantastic. I mean, he turned the program around like that. He went two and seven in 2020, and then he went what, like 11 and one or 11 10 and two, two last year? Yeah, 11 and two last year and won 12 the Big 12, won the 12 Big 12 title. Yeah. He had and a fantastic year. Yeah, won the Sugar Bowl. It had a fantastic year, and I love Dave Aranda, but I think those pieces that they lost is going to be the key. Why they they they're going to drop a game or two? Um, that wouldn't surprise me if they went eleven and one, but I think they'll go ten and two and finish tied for second at the very uh, tied for second or third, T- either tied for second or third. My number two, I've got the Oklahoma Sooners at number two. Oh, you picked Oklahoma State to win the conference. I did. <laughs> I picked Oklahoma State to win the conference. Oh, Let's talk, talk about, about Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Let's talk about Oklahoma at number two. Look. Brent Venables, he's a first-time head coach, but he's got so much experience on the big stage as a defensive coordinator. Their defense is going to be very good, which is something that Oklahoma has lacked under the Lincoln-Riley era. They were always able to score, but they had really bad defense. Well, not bad defenses, but just not good enough to, to win them big games. Their offense is going to be a little bit of a question mark with all the transfers they had, but I think they got... You know, bringing in Dylan Gabriel was good because, again, like you said, his connection with Jeff Lebby. Jeff Lebby and Ole, led Ole Miss as their offensive coordinator to the best offense in the SEC last year. And I think that's really going to help Oklahoma. But it's hard for a first-year head coach to win a conference their first year there. So it wouldn't surprise me if Oklahoma went 9-3, and three, but I think they'll go 10-2. and two. Um, They'll probably win a close one over Baylor or... Another scenario, which I'll talk about when I talk about my number one, I think could also happen. Um, but you go ahead with your number two. Zach, number two is the Baylor Bears. Baylor Bears. And that shows you who I'm putting at number one. <laughs> yeah. Um, at number two. What's her record? I, I have the Baylor Bears at 10 and two. 10 and two. 10 and two. Look, breakout year last year, a lot of things you just said about Baylor is very true. Dave Aranda, tremendous turnaround in what he did for that team. But they lost Jalen Petrie. Uh, they lost the, uh, Jerry Bohannon. Um, I think they lost their running back. But Blake Shapin is for real. And they have a very, very good defense. Blake Shapin, yeah. Blake Shapin, their quarterback, he's for real. 
I think they're going to win 10 games, but Big 12 is as wide open as I've ever seen. So I think a lot of these guys are just going to beat up on each other. Yeah. There's, a lot of, there's going to be a lot of beating up of each other. Baylor's going to finish second at 10 and 2. And then at number one, I have the Texas Longhorn, but at 10 and 2 as well with the tiebreaker over Baylor. Okay. So hear me out. New offensive coordinator for Steve Sarkeesian. Already a good offensive mind. He hired this guy with a really long name. I didn't want to mispronounce it, so I didn't put it in my notes. Disappointing year last year. We won't, we look, we will not dodge that. Very disappointing year. And it seemed like that a lot for Texas. You've got Quinn Ewers, who I think is elite. His we don't talent, know yet. We don't know, but I think he's elite. Yeah. But he's going to be helped. He's got two position players who are legitimately top three in their, in their, for their position. Bijan Robinson is the best running back in the nation. And Xavier yeah. Worthy, you didn't even mention, Xavier Worthy is a top three wide receiver. And that's not even touching the surface of the people that Steve Sarkeesian has. Defense is the only thing holding them back from being an 11 or 12 win team. Mm-hmm. And look, we're going to get into this when we start getting into weekly predictions. I think Texas is going to push Bama. I don't think so. I, I think it's going to be that a Bama team is so loaded this year. I don't think so. But there's a lot of things. I don't want to get into this now because I don't want to spoil it. The weakness of Bama matches up very badly for Bama with the strength of Texas. We'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. Texas, the Longhorns, finished 10 and 2 with the tiebreaker over Baylor, winning the Big 12 regular season title, along with your number one. Okay, my number one is the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Okay, look, I have been the most critical person of this team in the last couple of years because they always find a way, choke away big games. But let's analyze this team. There is absolutely no reason why this team should not win 11 games. There's no reason. Spencer Sanders is coming back for his 25th year at Oklahoma State. You've got three, you've got most of your offensive line is returning. You have seven out of your eight top receivers are all <coughs> returning. You have a better defensive coordinator in Derek Mason. Um, you know, he's proven himself to be a decent defensive coordinator. They've got they did they didn't lose a whole lot defensively. There is absolutely no reason with the amount of returning talent that they have. They lost Chuba Hubbard, but the guy behind him is just as good. Chuba Oklahoma Hubbard State three years ago. Was he really? Jalen Warren is the guy they lost. Oh, whatever. The, it's fine. The guy, it's, Oklahoma yeah. State is a running back factory. They're one of those schools that just uh, just pumps out running backs that are always pretty good. So even though they lost Jalen Warren, they're going to have another one. They're going to have another good running back. And again, Spencer Sanders, at some points last year in the biggest games, he was really good, but then at other points, he was really bad. I think he's going to learn from it. I think they're going to go 11-1. and one. I think they're going to go 11-1 and one this year and win the conference. And, and to be honest with you, it pains me because every year, every year, Oklahoma State gives me hope. Every year. And then they blow it. Oklahoma State is the Georgia before last season is the Georgia of the of the Big 12. They get your hopes up and they crush you. 
because yep. Mike Gundy, I don't know what it is about big games with him, but I'm just, there's just too much talent. There's just too much returning talent on this team. They got better with their defensive coordinator. Spencer Sanders is coming back for year 25. And I think they will be a formidable team. I think they'll slip up. They'll probably lose one to Baylor, but I'm going to jump right into my conference championship prediction. This is what I think is going to happen. I think Oklahoma State wins the Bedlam game. They play Oklahoma in the championship and lose to Oklahoma. Oklahoma is your Big 12 champions. Wow. You have Oklahoma State going. You have Oklahoma New Year's Six, first year under Brett Venables. That's crazy. That's I think so. Crazy. Basically, here's what I'll say because I have Oklahoma and Baylor with the same record. So I think whoever wins that game will get the second slot between Oklahoma and Baylor. Okay. But I think Oklahoma State will lose in the conference title game, whether they're playing Baylor or whether they're playing Oklahoma, and that team will be, get into the New York Six Bowl because there's, there is some kind of voodoo magic around this Cowboys team yep. to where they cannot win the biggest games. They just can't. It's like it's, it's just illegal for them to win them. Right. So – but I've got Oklahoma State being having the best record in the conference, but I don't have them winning the conference title. <clears throat> Longhorn Nation, we're back. Big 12 regular season and Big 12 game winners. The Texas Longhorns are winning the Big 12 this year. They're going to go to a New Year's Six Bowl, and they're just going to get better, Zach. I think I think Sarkeesian's going to find it this year. I don't do the end of the year last year was so bad for that team. Their last five games were atrocious. Last they season. bounced back so well in this offseason, though, and I believe they they do every year. They have talent every single freaking season. They have talent and they do nothing with it. Texas fans talk. That's all they do is talk, and then their team doesn't perform on the field. I, I think like they'll go Texas nine sack. and three. I don't like Texas either. And I'm tired. I'm tired of the the smack talk that Texas fans do on the college football discussion page. It irks me because you haven't done anything in 20 years. Right. You haven't done anything in 20 years, almost 20 years. 2005. I don't want to hear it anymore. You haven't done anything in a long time. You're probably going to get bounced in the SEC. You're going to finish. You're going to finish fourth or fifth at best in the SEC. This will be so, a good way to end their their run in the Big 12. I think they're going to win this year, and then I don't think they're ever going to touch close to nine or ten wins in the SEC. But yeah, but let me just—I wanted to make my piece there. There you go. That wraps up about an hour of college yeah. football talk. We have some very other—we have a lot of other things to get into as well. Um, but I think we're going to be a little quick uh, with some of these. There's not yeah. much to say about this, Zach. I know you have some thoughts about this. Let's get into the uh, Shannon Sharp conversation. If you want to kind of just set, uh, set the okay. So this past week was SEC Media Days. Um, it's just basically a, a week where they pick. I think it's like four teams each day, and they interview the coaches and some of the players, just kind of looking forward to the season, right. stuff like that. Um, and Kirby Smart, I think, was on Tuesday or Wednesday. I don't remember. It was a Wednesday. Um, and he and he was talking about NIL deals or whatever. I, I don't even remember. I don't know exactly what Kirby Smart said yeah. um, pertaining to NIL. He was talking about how, you know, some of these guys that aren't as good get to make as much money as the guys that are better. Something like something along those lines. Mm-hmm. But then Shannon Sharp, who, if you're familiar, 
is on the show. Uh, what what is the name of his first, show? Uh, no, it's it's first called, take. It's not first take. It's not it's, first take. It's it's their undisputed. version of first take. Undisputed. undisputed, undisputed. And Shannon Sharp made the comment that basically he was like Kirby Smart should shut his mouth about nil. He doesn't really care about his players. He's out here making millions of dollars, and he doesn't care about these players. He shouldn't have an opinion on this. The only reason he only has these players for three or four years, and that's the only time frame that he really cares about these players. And he's like, you, he's, he's basically, he, and he said, you really think these players are coming to Georgia out of the goodness of their heart, out of the kindness of their heart, wanting to play for, wanting to play for you? No, you've been doing under-the-table NIL deals for a long time. And look, I'm not going to dispute him on that. Under-the-table deals have probably been happening with Georgia, Alabama, lots of SEC schools for a very, very long time. It's probably been happening for a long time. But to have the audacity to say that you know, you know Kirby Smart does not care about his players when there has never been one person that has had any negative thing to say about Coach Kirby Smart. Kobe Dean responded in a tweet and said, uh, I came to Georgia out of the goodness of my heart. I actually wanted to be there. I wanted to play for Coach Kirby. And you know what? We're not going to get political, but it's just it's just a media talking point. It's just the media trying to find something to talk about that's going to get views. But it was it was probably the worst take that Shannon Shannon Sharp has ever had. And I know yeah. that we're biased because we're Georgia fans, but I, I dare you to find one thing on the internet where a player has ever said one bad thing about Kirby. And where a player has ever said that Kirby doesn't care about me or care about my family. George Pickens. George Pickens says he loves Kirby. The Kobe Dean loves Kirby. Jordan Davis loves Kirby because he's more, they're more than just players to Kirby. They are almost, he treats them like their own son. He treats them like family. And so to say that you know that Kirby Smart doesn't care because he just uses players to win championships, it's totally ignorant. It's totally irresponsible for him to say that. And I just wanted to say, Shannon Sharp, you look dumb by saying that. Zach, I really can't add any more more to that uh, than what you just said. Uh, I agree with all the sentiments that you you have about it. Shannon Sharp, there's a reason that network talk shows, sports talk shows are going down the drain and podcasts are taking over. Um, they're, they're They're just talking heads for writers behind the scenes that are trying to push something that the, the, that the, the channel wants them to push out. First take is so bad right now. I know. First yeah. take First take is terrible. Get up is terrible. First things first with Nick Wright has always been unwatchable. Um, undisputed. Dude, I cannot stand Nick Wright. Let, oh, let, my I, gosh. Please, please don't get me started Nick on Nick Wright. I don't want to. I, I, I'm having a good day. I don't <laughs> want to talk about Nick Wright. But that really, that's all that can be said. I, I don't want to get more into it. It's going to be, I mean, I don't want to get political with all this, but it's just stupid. Um, let's transition to another NFL. I mean, Shannon Sharp was a good NFL quarterback, so I guess we can make that transition. Tight end. Tight, Tight end. end. Sorry, yeah, whatever, receiver. Kyler Murray getting paid. Zach, do you have the details of his contract? Because it was pretty insane. Oh, I forgot to write that down, but he is going to be one of the highest paid. He's going to be one of the highest paid quarterbacks this year. And him getting paid is significant. And I guess the question that goes along with it is, did Arizona have to pay him this money? Did they they have to pay him? Did they feel like they were backed into a corner where they didn't really have a choice? They've got to pay Kyler Murray. What do you think? What what is your opinion on on the, the Kyler Murray situation? Um, I think it's interesting that his $230.5 million contract, I just found that, 
It requires four hours of independent study before every single game for Kyler Murray. <laughs> wow. That tells me that Arizona wasn't at the point where they thought he was there yet. But they, they, were, they were nervous to lose him. Kyler Murray's yeah. not a guy you just go out and lose. Kyler Murray, look, has had great regular season success. Always started the year Arizona, the last two years has been like, you combine their two records, they're like 16-0. and 0. They've been really good. They, teel, they, 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 they teeter off at the end of the year. They lose early in the playoffs or don't make the playoffs. And Kyler Murray has to take another step. That independent film study is a great idea for Arizona really to get you in, get you ready for the next game. Because we saw in a lot of games, yes, he's very talented. Cannot read a defense. Yeah. Cannot read a defense. I think he's a top 10 quarterback in the league. I mean, he might be sitting at between eight and, eight and 10. Between eight and ten, somewhere in there, but he's the top ten quarterback. I think what like one hundred and sixty million is guaranteed out of that two thirty. Yeah, it's a lot. Um, you know, he's making money. Yeah, I mean, the whole Deshaun Watson contract is going to ruin the market for. And we talked about this before because now everybody's going to want fully guaranteed contracts. Right. right. But um, you know, I, I I agree with you. I think Arizona kind of was backed into a corner, being like, you know, we don't feel like you're worth top quarterback money yet but we can't afford to lose you because we've got no one behind you. And we're in win now mode. And I've mentioned this before on the podcast that their general manager is very aggressive. He has come out and said that he is not interested in rebuilding. He wants to win now. He wants to make trades to, to, to win now. He's only interested in winning Super Bowls. He's not interested in, in, in anytime soon trying to rebuild the team. So I think it was kind of a situation where Arizona and Kyler were not getting along, but Arizona's like, look, we can't afford to lose you, so we'll pay you whatever you want. But right. we're gonna put some we're gonna put some incentives in the contract to where you have to do what we ask you to do if you want to get this guaranteed money. Right. So another right. another point from the uh, NFL, uh, Debo Samuel. We've talked about this before. The Debo Samuel contract situation. His agent came out and said that he is he wants to be a 49er. He does not necessarily want to leave the 49ers. But Debo has requested that he not play running back this season. He does not want to carry the ball. He does not want to, you know, he doesn't want to play running back. He's okay with carrying the ball on end around plays, but he does not want to be a running back and carry the ball 10, 12 times up the middle. He says, I'm not interested in that. And, you know, even if you're going to pay me top much money, I don't want to do that. And I don't blame him, honestly, because I don't, I don't either he's already taking so many hits as a wide receiver. And then you're going to add the amount of hits he's taking. He already missed a significant amount of time two years ago with injury. I don't blame him for, for wanting to, to avoid doing that again. Right. No, I, I agree with you. I feel like Debo saying you can look at, Oh, just do what you need to do to win. But honestly, it's smarter for him to be in this situation because you need Debo Samuel healthy. You need Debo Samuel to be to his best of the best of his abilities. And if he's running up the middle 15 times and also making 10 catches while also doing end rounds and blocking, it's going to be too much for one guy. And, yeah. and honestly, Debo is talented enough to do it all, but the wear and tear on it's going to be too much. I think this is smart for Debo Samuel. He knows his value. He knows his worth. Good on Debo. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's move on to something that's going to be more geared towards you. Yeah. NBA news. Yeah. So something that's picking up steam in the NBA. We talked about the KD potential trade suitors yeah. last week. 
Mm-hmm. There's a there's a trade that's picking up steam right now that is basically KD for Jalen Brown. Now that's not a straight up trade, but that's the two the two main pieces of the trade. What do you think about KD to Boston? So I, I'm more interested in the Boston like what what the Nets are getting aspect of this. The Boston Celtics have a, have had officially sent them an offer sheet which included Jalen Brown, um, Jalen Brown, one guy off the bench, and four first round picks for Kevin Durant and a second round pick. And it was declined by the Nets because the Nets want Marcus Smart. Which ah. is the Nets want Marcus Smart in the deal. And they are and Marcus Smart to them feels more expendable now that the Boston Celtics just got Malcolm Brogdon. But the Celtics better pull this trade off now. Because Jalen Brown's unhappy. Yeah. After all these trade, after all these trade rumors are out, you made a deep run. Jalen Brown doesn't feel valued. If he's this even if he's expendable for KD, then he's gonna he's he wants out nonetheless. And so now if you're Boston, you got to try to get KD for Jalen Brown, or you're gonna have to trade him somewhere else and not get KD. Yeah. So now Boston has their hands tied. You're gonna lose a really good player in Jalen Brown, but KD with Jason Tatum and Robert Williams and Peyton Pritchard and Grant Williams, it's gonna be nasty. Like they're gonna yeah. be, they're gonna make probably make it back to the finals. But I don't know. I feel like feel like they're not going to be able to pull it off because they're not going to be they don't want to give up Marcus Smart and I don't know how to feel about it because there's part of me that's like just give up Marcus Smart there's also part of me that's like well then I'm giving up a 25 year old all-star player in Jalen Brown who averages over 20 points a game and I'm giving up the reigning defensive player of the year the first guard to win defensive player of the year since Gary Payton it's a lot to ask for but that's what it's going to take for KD things is the most realistic possibility for KD because everywhere else it just seems like it's way too much. Boston though might have screwed themselves by being so publicly active in these trade talks because I think Jalen Brown's lost it. Yeah, I I feel like Jalen Brown has been a very underappreciated talent for a long time. Yes. Um I feel like, you know, whenever people talk about the Celtics, all they want to talk about is Jason Tatum. They don't ever want to give Jalen Brown his due. But I feel like he's a he's a solid player. And now of course you know, I would feel underappreciated too now that I'm being mentioned and being traded for KD. And I agree with you. You know, Boston, they're going to have to pull off this trade at this point because, or else you're going to be left with a Falcons Matt Ryan situation where now he's upset he's not going to play for the team. You're going to have to end up trading him for a fourth round pick and get nothing because now Boston has no leverage. Right. Because, right. you know, Jalen Brown wants out. And all these other teams know he doesn't want to play for Boston anymore. So they're like, we're going to lowball you because we know we can, because we know Jalen Brown wants to leave now. So now Boston has lost all their leverage. And so they better find a way to make this deal now, because with no leverage, you're going to get nothing for Jalen Brown and you're going to be screwed. I think this is slightly different than the Matt Ryan situation, but it does. It is. It is very comparable. I think you'll still get a really good load for Jalen Brown. like I have a lot of talks of him going to the Hawks for John Collins and a couple, a couple more first round picks, but I don't see that as a realistic possibility, but there's a lot of places that Jalen Brown would Jalen Brown, wherever he goes is going to succeed. I think he's, he's played second fiddle to Jason Tatum ever since Tatum got into the league. Um, but I think wherever he goes, he's going to be really, really good, but I'd love to see KD on Boston. 
Because look, Katie doesn't care, and he's telling you this right now, because it's going to be the second time that he goes to the team to beat him the year before. He does <laughs> not care. He does yeah. not care. And the people got to realize that that saying, oh, he's a, just a ring chaser, it doesn't bother him. Because yes, he's a ring chaser, but everywhere he wins rings, he wins finals MVPs. So, well, I feel like that's that's such a dumb thing. You're a ring chaser. Isn't that what you're supposed to be doing? Why else would you play a professional sport? I mean, other than, yeah, I love the game, but don't you want to be the best player ever? Don't you want to be the player that wins the most championships? Right. Like that's that's a dumb argument. He's a ring chaser. Yeah, I would be, too. I want to win championships. Exactly. I don't want to play for a a team that wins 25 games. I want to play for a team that's winning a championship. So that, that, exactly. yeah, that, that, that's just a dumb argument. Right. All right. I moving agree. on to the, moving on to the major league baseball, um, the Braves, Adam Duvall had season ending, season ending wrist surgery yesterday. And that begs the question, do the Braves need to go out and trade for an outfielder? I've seen lots of discussion today about, Possibly a Jorge Soler reunion. I've seen maybe going for Benintendi from the Royals. You know, a couple different options. And 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 I know Hayden is probably watching this, and and me and him disagree a little bit on it. I don't think we necessarily have to make a move for an outfielder because Duvall wasn't hitting that well this year. He he is a power hitter. His average was struggling. He wasn't starting every game this year because his bat was struggling so much. We already look, Ozuna is a liability on defense, but we have Rosario, Harris, and Acuna. We have Ozuna if we need him to play outfield. We have Arcia that can play outfield. We have William Contreras that can play outfield. If we go out and make a deal for an outfielder, all they're going to be doing is platooning. So I don't necessarily think we need to make a move for an outfielder. What we need to make a move for is another rotation starter. We need another rotation piece. So if we can get a platoon outfielder included with a rotation piece, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. We also could probably use another bullpen arm, but everybody could use another bullpen arm. So there's never enough bullpen arm. Yeah. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily think that we need to be desperate. We don't need to act like because last year. It was a desperate situation. We lost our superstar. We were struggling to get above 500. We had to do something. This year, totally different. We got our superstars, but and, and we're surging. We're playing really well right now. And we've actually, we actually have the best record in baseball since Ozzy Albies went down. So I don't think we really need to panic and go trade for an outfielder. Now we called up, um, Mike Ford, who is awful. I don't know why we called him up and not Travis Demerit, but I, I think we don't need to hit the panic button and make a huge trade for an outfielder right. at least. Right. I agree with you. And I, I'm going to, I mean, I, you're more of the Braves guy here. I mean, obviously they're my, my second team. I live here. Um, but I saw some interesting things. In the, the, the Mets are a are front runners for Wilson Contreras um, in, in trade. trade they need a better backs. They need a better catcher. With the Cubs, that, I mean, yeah. that would—I I truly believe that would be the piece that really puts the Mets over the top. Obviously, twenty-two games over five hundred right now. They're a good team coming off. They avoided the sweep against the Padres, and starting tomorrow, you know what they who they play. I don't Subway Series against the Yankees. Oh, the three Yankees! Games, three games set against the Yankees nice. in the next three days, which is going to be huge. 
especially with the Braves playing. We're on the road against the Phillies starting tonight. Lackluster Phillies team. Yeah. But uh, but that seems how it's kind of been the last month. Braves have yeah. hit the easier part of the schedule. Mets have hit the harder part of their schedule. Just how it goes in baseball. I'm not one to be like, oh, you know, like that. But this is huge. If the Mets can get Wilson Contreras. Yeah. Whew, I mean, those Contreras boys can play baseball. They can. They can. They and can. Wilson's actually a serviceable defensive catcher as well. William, yeah, William's not William's great. Not. William's uh, not. not a great defensive catcher, but yeah. um, you know, he Look, can play the position. More more trade talks. This will transition to our next MLB point, Juan Soto. I've I know you've probably heard different things. I know the Yankees are now in the in the talks very heavily. The Cardinals, do you have any more insight on Juan Soto and like what's really going on around him right now? Well, yeah, I've seen the Yankees are kind of the the main uh, people that are doing the trade talks. They're talking about trading um, uh, Nestor Cortez, um, Glaber Torres, Torres right? yeah. and their top three prospects for him. Um, I think the Nationals still want more than that, um, but I don't know if they're going to get. I, I've also seen the Mets are the people are asking should the Mets be aggressive and try to go after him, which would be huge. But I would be leery of how much you're going to have to get up to get him, give up to get him. You're going to have to potentially break up the chemistry you have going right now because the Nationals want guys that are ready to go right now. They don't want all prospects. Right. They said that they want they want four prospects and they want three young guys who are ready to go, and they want somebody willing to take on Patrick Corbin's contract. So that's that's basically the three requirements right now, and so. For you to give up three young major league ready guys on the Mets team, you're going to really, you might break up the chemistry there that's already going. And the Nationals, I think they're going to be very hesitant to trade to an in division opponent. The thing that I saw, I think the deal that makes the most sense is Juan Soto to the Cardinals, uh, mainly because I don't want to see him go to the Yankees. And I don't want to see him, I don't think the Dodgers are really going to be that aggressive in trying to get him. Where are they going to put him if they get him? So, I don't think that the Dodgers are going to be that aggressive, but I think the Cardinals make a whole lot of sense. And I think with them, they, I think they only have like a one game lead or they're like, it, it, the division lead is within like a game right now between them and the Brewers. And if they really want to kind of take off and run away with this division and be legitimate playoff contenders, because they're legitimate division winners and division contenders, but I don't think they can make it past the NLCS. They have a few missing pieces they've got Arenado, they've got goldschmidt but they're gonna need one more really good bat to kind of get them over the hump and i think they have the prospects they can trade away some of their younger guys on the team like harrison bader maybe or some of those other tommy edmund tommy Tommy edmund you can trade some of those guys away and get juan soto and i think that really puts that team over the edge the thing is is I know I said last week that I think the Nationals are going to hang on to him. I don't think they really can at this point because Juan Soto and their relationship has been it's completely bad. destroyed. It, it, it is really they they refuse to fly him out to the All Star game, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's just childish be, to say. Well, just because you didn't resign with us, we're not flying you to the All Star game. Yeah. And then on the way back, they called the Braves and they said, "Hey." Can you guys give Juan Soto a ride back to DC and your plane? And the Braves were like, 
No, we can't do that for two reasons. Number one, because our, our flight's already booked. It's already full. There's no room on our flight. And number two, we're not going to get accused of tampering. We, we know that if he's on our plane, people are going to look at us and they're going to say, well, y'all had extended talks with him and he got to spend time with the team that's tampering. So I think that was very smart of us to say no yeah. to him doing that. Refusing to fly your guy out for the All-Star game and fly him back Juan Soto had to get his own flight, and he didn't land in L.A. until like 1 a.m. the day of the home run derby. That's just a bad look. It's uh, And then Derek Jeter posted a tweet the other day that said, uh, loyalty one way is stupidity or something like that. And Juan Soto retweeted it and said, period. So he obviously does not like what's going on in the Nationals organization right now. Let's analyze the players that the Nationals organization has lost. They lost. Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, Bryce Harper, Juan Soto, Anthony Rendon, Anthony Rendon, like that, that team could have won multiple world series, but they lost all of them because I don't think they have a, a front office that really cares that much about their players or really about their franchise winning championships that much. And so I don't blame Juan Soto for wanting to leave at this point. I think they're going to have to trade him. And because of that, they're going to have to take less because I don't think any of these teams are going to be willing to just give you four prospects, three young players, and take on Patrick Corbin's contract. I don't just don't think that's realistic. I agree with everything you just said. Um, look, I mean, they won their championship, obviously, the Nationals did, but they could have had a lot more. Soto's going to be out. There's no way he stays after this. It's just toxic. But to end off this first ever live stream, big news in the WWE. Yes. Vince McMahon is out as president, oh, like, as everything. CEO, owner. Got to, owner, got taken out. Uh, Nick Khan and Stephanie McMahon are now co-CEOs of the company. And Triple H is the head of creative. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. The new head of creative. Yes. Yes. Mr. Water Bottle Mist Spray, Cerebral Assassin, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, Paul Levesque, Triple H, whatever you want to call him. He is the lead of creative now, which yes. is something that he is not unfamiliar with. He was the head of creative for NXT for years. And they were the NXT's most popular product. Days. Yes. Yes. I look, I'm I am about as giddy excited about this as anyone. Um after SummerSlam. I'm going to be tuned in. Yeah. I'm going to be tuned in because I want to see what the, I want to see the first night of triple H led creative product. Yes. But before we get super excited and like, yeah, Vince is gone. I think we do need to appreciate that Vince McMahon everything we've talked about today would not be possible without Vince McMahon and Vince McMahon's father. Yes. Everything that we've grown up on, everything we've loved Vince McMahon, we have not agreed with Vince McMahon about 70% of the time. Yes. But we cannot deny. That also, don't the agree reason. with this whole situation that led to his retirement, too. Yeah. Don't agree yes. with that either. Yes. No, not at all. But we have to acknowledge how truly great Vince McMahon was. 
Yeah. And we can't go. I, I couldn't go without with, with this whole celebration without acknowledging Vince McMahon as the chairman, as the owner, as the CEO. He look. He took on what is his dad's vision beautifully, and he's done it for years. So Vince McMahon, hats off to you. Hats off to your career. We're gonna miss you, but this is a new era of WWE, Zach. Just, just, just talk about it. Yeah, dude. I mean. I'm finally excited and ready to watch WWE again because, as you said, look, Vince built WWE into what it is today. They're the, they are the largest sports entertainment brand in the world, and it is because of Vince McMahon. Not in spite of him, it is because of him, because he is a genius businessman. For the last 40 years, he has built this company into what it is today. And though the last probably five, six, seven years, he has really damaged the creative direction of the of the company. I think that's mainly him just trying to hang on to some power and hang on to right. some influence. Um, but, you know, he appreciated his wrestlers for the most part. I know there are some wrestlers that really didn't like him, like CM Punk hates, hates him. But for the most part, most most wrestlers really appreciate what Vince McMahon did for them and for the company. And um, one of my favorite uh, moments of Vince McMahon's career was uh, when he lost and had to have his head shaved or when his representative wrestler lost, had to have his head shaved against Donald Trump. Yeah, against Donald Trump. Uh, Just great. All the great moments he had with Stone Cold Steve Austin. uh, That would that was that was pure entertainment. That was really the heart of the Attitude Era. The, the Stone Cold Vince McMahon feud, um, when Vince McMahon wrestled God, like just just comical stuff. But he was the ultimate heel. I think Vince McMahon was the heel of all heels. Honestly, I don't think there has ever been a better heel than Vince McMahon. Now, there's been better wrestling heels than Vince McMahon, but in terms of overall heel, I don't think there's ever been a greater heel than Vince McMahon. Um, there were a few times when he tried to be face and it just didn't work. He is the most natural heel possible. And, you know, and again, he did so much for the company. He built it up and he, he globalized WWE about 10 or 15 years ago. He took it global. And I think, I think now he tries to go a little bit too global, like trying to have uh, a pay-per-view in Saudi Arabia every year. Like, I don't think that's necessary to do that. Two pay-per-views in Saudi Arabia. I don't think we don't we don't need to go that far, but making it a global brand and all that, that that's big. But now transitioning into life after Vince, I think we're going to start seeing wrestlers get pushed that have not gotten pushes in a long time. I think you're going to see guys like Finn Balor get pushed. I think you're going to see Kevin Owens finally get another title push. You're going to see AJ Styles probably get back into the forefront. We're gonna. We're. I think we're. Gonna, we are coming to the end of this. Like the big beefy guys are the ones are the only ones that get the pushes, and um, apparently this transition is only going to uh, take place after SummerSlam because they already have everything planned up until SummerSlam, and so that's why you had mentioned that after SummerSlam you're going to be tuned in, but uh, I thought the great the best idea would have been to have Roman Reigns and Brock Lesnar fight each other in a last man standing match 
They both knock each other out. Austin Theory cashes in. He doesn't even have to pin because it's a last man standing match. He just stands there for the 10 count, becomes champion. That would have been great. But apparently the ending of that match has been spoiled already. Uh, Mattel, the toy company, has already released a new Brock Lesnar uh, toy that has both championship belts on him. So I think Brock Lesnar is probably winning at SummerSlam, which, yay, Brock Lesnar or whatever. Brock Lesnar's probably winning at SummerSlam. Um, but I think from that point forward, we're going to see a new direction in the company, a fresh perspective. You know, we've never, uh, I have never seen a, a WWE without Vince McMahon in control. Right. None of us have seen it. Right. Um, and so it's going to be super interesting to see Triple H in control. I, he, he, when he was in charge of NXT, NXT was the best thing WWE had going for them. And then Vince McMahon removed him because NXT was getting too popular. It was getting more popular than Raw. It was getting more popular than SmackDown. And he's like, I can't have my third brand be my most popular. So he took him off of being head of creative. But now that Triple H is head of creative, I think we're going to see a fresh, new beginning, a new era. And I think that with this, they really have the potential to absolutely crush AEW now. Uh, because in the current state of wrestling, AEW can stick around and still be competitive because the creative direction of WWE is not very good. But now with Triple H taking over, I think they're going to crush AEW. I don't think AEW is going to go out of business, but I think in terms of ratings, they're going to get crushed now because you've got a a guy that's actually lived and breathed the business is now in charge. Whereas Vince McMahon you know, he knew the business aspect of it and he knew the entertainment aspect of it, but never experienced the everyday wrestling aspect of it, whereas Triple H did. He experienced right. all three of those things now. And so I think um, I, I'm just really excited about the future of WWE. I think I mean, um, I, I think there's no way you can't be. And you said a lot of good things that I, I mean, I can I can say I'm very, very interested to see how he treats the major championships and how he treats the tag team division. Because in NXT, that was his calling card. The biggest matches of the night were the tag team matches. Yeah. Every single night, I want to see how he does that. I also want to see how he utilizes NXT now as the head of creative for like the main shows. I, a lot of things, but I know we're running long here. I want to end it off in only one way that we can. Vince McMahon, you are retired. <laughs> yes. You're retired. You're retired. And we are going to retire for the night night. and for the week. Thank you guys for watching this live stream. I think we had, we've had had three or four viewers here and there, but we had a one consistent. I hope, I think that was you, Mama and Pops. Shout out to you. But, (laughs) but we, we, we like this new, I kind of like this. I do. Um, Unfortunately, I was going to tell Zach in this after, there isn't a way for me to export this over to the podcast channel. Um, so we will have a, a missing week. I'm going to get things worked out for next week, but on the pot, but just tune in. I'm glad you tuned into this. You can tune into it on YouTube as a, as a live replay. You can do that as well. If you want to catch up with it, see our beautiful faces. If you didn't know us and you watched the show somehow, don't know how that happens, but I, I mean, I, we got a weekly podcast. We do have a weekly podcast. Yes. We have weekly podcast. It's on the first Apple time we ever done this Spotify. Live. Yes. I mean, this tells you the whole story right here. 
good stream. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Of course it's a good stream. We know. And then this one. Of course we do. Yeah. I mean, and <laughs> then we do. what does this mean? But I don't know. But we had some we had some <laughs> engagement. We had some engagement today. I liked it. I it felt really natural. I mean, we look at each other during the show all the time, so this wasn't anything different. But uh super excited to see the future of the show. College football season is is here. I've been watching videos constantly about college football, like replays of last season and just getting ready for it. Stay tuned to the channel. We've got some huge, huge things coming college football-wise. College football season is going to be huge for yes. us. I'm very, very excited. I've got some ideas that I want to bounce off Zach later. But anyways, thank you guys for watching. We're going to end the stream here. Uh, catch us next week, same place, same time, because... Yes, same place, same time. We'll catch you on the flip. Love y'all. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Official Review. Before you go, I just wanted to give you a couple ways that you can stay connected with the show. First is our email, mgzbsportsnetwork at gmail.com. With this email, you can stay connected, ask us questions that we will answer on the show. Also, if you want to follow us on TikTok under the same name, we post very, very frequently about everything that's happening. And also, if you just want to check Apple Podcasts and Spotify Podcasts Thursday morning at 8 a.m. for every single episode of the official review. Thank you, and we love you. Peace.